With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Welcome to Cavs HQ presented by Betway. Thank you for joining us on the Cleveland Cavaliers Radio Network. Now, here are your hosts, Tim Alcorn and Jim Jones. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Cavs HQ, presented by Betway on the Cavaliers Radio Network. Tim Elkhorn, along with Jim Jones. Great to have you with us. Well, Jim, we've got a very special show coming up this week on Cavs HQ. Of course, the Cavs and the Bulls tomorrow night in Chicago. A little bit later on in the program, we're going to hear from Chicago TV analyst Stacey King, one of the best if not the best color commentators in the NBA on the television side, does a wonderful job. We're going to start off the program with a very special feature. Of course, yesterday, Martin Luther King Day. And so we wanted to pay tribute to the late civil rights leader by bringing our listeners the audio version from Martin Luther King of the letter that he wrote from the Birmingham jail. It's going to be very, very special. Yeah, this is a letter from Birmingham jail, as Tim mentioned. And it has to do with Dr. King finding some resistance in Birmingham from some of most of them were clergy and stalwarts of the civil rights movement who felt that any type of aggressive agitation might even make things worse for them. And so it was frustrating for him. And he expresses that frustration in his letter. But he also talks about the optimism of the civil rights movement. It is an amazing piece of history. And again, we'll have it here in the next segment right here on Cavs HQ presented by Betway. And then, Jim, of course, uh, looking forward to hearing from Stacey King. It's going to be an interesting matchup tomorrow night between the Cavs and the Bulls. And, of course, the Bulls right now sitting atop the Eastern Conference, but only by a half game. And the Cavaliers are sitting in the fourth spot, just a game and a half back. We've talked about this during the broadcast, how everything is bunched up in this Eastern Conference. Yeah, it is, but you you can't be overly optimistic, let me say, because based on the current conditions and the injuries and the protocols that are affecting everybody's rosters, uh, you're not getting a real glimpse of what the potential and uh, the strength of, of these teams really is. So you really have to temper that. But what I will say is the consistency of play that the Cavs have shown recently makes me very optimistic about them being this good and better for the rest of the season. No doubt. We really look forward to hearing from Stacey King. But again, coming up next, we'll hear from Dr. Martin Luther King, his letter from the Birmingham jail. It's up next on Cavs HQ, presented by Betway on the Cavaliers Radio Network. Welcome back to Cavs HQ, presented by Betway on the Cavaliers Radio Network. Tim Elkhorn, along with Jim Jones, and of course, Marty Allen and Kurt McLaughlin, as always, doing their tremendous job on the other side of the window. Jim, yesterday, across the country, we celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. Day, a day to honor the late civil rights leader. And of course, it's a day, but it's also something that should be ongoing in today's Cavs HQ. We thought we would pay tribute to Martin Luther King by playing the audio version of a letter that he wrote from a jail in Birmingham. And I'd like you to set that up. Yeah, what it is, is uh, they were marching in Birmingham because of uh, the bus strikes and uh, the garbage collectors and all of this stuff. And Martin was asked to come down there. When he got down there, they had a systematic approach to protest, which was sit-ins, 
and marching, which is pretty traditional for civil rights movements. But he was getting a lot of resistance. Much of it was coming from the clergy who said, you're only going to be here a while. You're going to upset things. You'll make things worse. So in his marching, he was arrested. And what this letter is about It's part of his frustration, but it also leads into a certain level of optimism as to what's necessary to make significant change in this country. So enjoy the clip. My dear fellow clergymen, while confined here in the Birmingham city jail, I came across your recent statement calling my present activities unwise and untimely. Seldom do I pause to answer criticism of my work and ideas. If I sought to answer all the criticism that crossed my desk, my secretaries would have little time for anything other than such correspondence in the course of the day and I would have no time for constructive work. But since I feel that you are men of genuine goodwill and that your criticisms are sincerely set forth, I want to try to answer your statement in what I hope will be patient and reasonable terms. I think I should indicate why I am here in Birmingham since you have been influenced by the view which argues against outsiders coming in. I have the honor of serving as president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, an organization operating in every southern state with headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia. We have some 85 affiliated organizations across the South and one of them is the Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights. Frequently, we share staff, educational, and financial resources with our affiliates. Several months ago, the affiliate here in Birmingham asked us to be on call to engage in a nonviolent direct action program if such were deemed necessary. We readily consented And when the hour came, we lived up to our promise. So I, along with several members of my staff, am here because I was invited here. I am here because I have organizational ties here. But more basically, I'm in Birmingham because injustice is here. Just as the prophets of the 8th century B.C., left their villages and carried there, thus saith the Lord, far beyond the boundaries of their hometowns. And just as the Apostle Paul left his village of Tarsus and carried the gospel of Jesus Christ to the far corners of the Greco-Roman world, so am I compelled to carry the gospel of freedom beyond my own hometown. Like Paul, I must constantly respond to the Macedonian call for aid. Moreover, I am cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham.
injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. You deplore the demonstrations taking place in Birmingham, but your statement, I am sorry to say, fails to express a similar concern for the conditions that brought about the demonstrations. I am sure that none of you would want to rest content with a superficial kind of social analysis that deals merely with effects and does not grapple with underlying causes. It is unfortunate that demonstrations are taking place in Birmingham, but it is even more unfortunate that the city's white power structure left the Negro community with no alternative. In any nonviolent campaign, there are four basic steps. Collection of the facts to determine whether injustices exist, negotiation, self-purification, and direct action. We have gone through all these steps in Birmingham. There can be no gain saying the fact that racial injustice engulfs this community. Birmingham is probably the most thoroughly segregated city in the United States. Its ugly record of brutality is widely known. Negroes have experienced grossly unjust treatment in the court. There have been more unsolved bombings of Negro homes and churches in Birmingham than in any other city in the nation. These are the hard, brutal facts of the case. On the basis of these conditions, Negro leaders sought to negotiate with the city fathers, but the latter consistently refused to engage in good faith negotiation. Then last September came the opportunity to talk with leaders of Birmingham's economic community. In the course of the negotiations, certain promises were made by the merchants, for example, to remove the store's humiliating racial signs. On the basis of these promises, the Reverend Fred Shuttleworth and the leaders of the Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights agreed to a moratorium on all demonstrations. As the weeks and months went by, we realized that we were the victims of a broken promise. A few signs briefly removed returned. The others remained. As in so many past experiences, our hopes had been blasted and the shadow of deep disappointment settled upon us. We had no alternative except to prepare for direct action whereby we would present our very bodies as a means of laying our case before the conscience of the local and the national community. Mindful of the difficulties involved, we decided to undertake a process of self-purification. We began a series of workshops on nonviolence, and we repeatedly asked ourselves 
Are you able to accept blows without retaliating? Are you able to endure the ordeal of jail? We decided to schedule our direct action program for the Easter season, realizing that except for Christmas, this is the main shopping period of the year. Knowing that his strong economic withdrawal program would be the byproduct of direct action, we felt that this would be the best time to bring pressure to bear on the merchants for the needed change. The stirring words from Martin Luther King Jr. Again, the letter he wrote from the Birmingham jail where he was being imprisoned. And it was a response in longhand to the concerns and the issues that were being raised by religious leaders of the South. Very, very moving. Jim and I will be back. We'll talk about it after this on Caps HQ, presented by Betway on the Cavaliers Radio Network. Welcome back to Cavs HQ, presented by Betway on the Cavaliers Radio Network. Tim Elkhorn, along with Jim Jones. And Jim, you hear the voice and the stirring message from Dr. Martin Luther King. Boy, when you hear it and you really listen to the words of Dr. King, what stands out to you? Well, what stands out to me most is the sincerity and, of course, the commitment, the leadership ability, because it takes courage to be a leader because then people know who to throw the stones at. So Dr. King, because of his religious beliefs and devotion, was the perfect leader for this movement. Jim, what's interesting to me when I really listened to it, and then I actually uh, printed out the transcript to it so I could follow along as Dr. King was reading the message, is the fact that he doesn't strike a political tone. He strikes a moral tone, that this is a moral issue, because not only was he a civil rights leader, but he was a pastor. And this letter was written to white religious leaders in the South. So he approaches this with many verses from the Bible and stories from the Bible that we are dealing with a moral issue in our country. Yeah, it is a moral issue, Tim. It's been politicized because there's an advantage for those, you know, who are in power to maintain the social order, which has denied so many people as far as race, class, and gender. It's a question of man's law versus God's law. And that's always going to be a conflict because man sees things differently than God. But I'm here to tell you that freedom is never voluntary, as Dr. King said. You have to fight for it every day. It takes diligence. Many people, because of the certain order, many moderates, they're more devoted to order. That's the word we hear for many politicians than to justice. That means keep it the way it is, status quo. So it's an uphill fight. Some people would believe that things are not getting better, but they really are, Tim. I remember the, the lasting quote that you've heard many athletes quote, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Very, very true. And of course, Dr. King also alluded to the fact of unjust and just laws. And of course, if a law is unjustful, it's not a law at all. And that was the whole point of the civil rights movement, that these laws are unjust. And so it takes protest and it takes nonviolent protest to overturn these laws and make things change in our country. Yep. Just to give you an example, the fundamental way of change as far as civil rights is concerned, has been marching, prayer pilgrimage, sit-ins, 
and freedom rides, you know, those type of things uh, to bring awareness to the situation, to put it on the radar in the hopes that people can have access so they can have a voice. But it's different now. Let me give you an example. George Floyd, young lady walking home from work. She sees an incident in the street. She records it just a little over eight minutes. She goes home, puts it on her Facebook or Instagram, hits a button, and it's all over the world. An hour after she posts that on her platform, they're marching in China, Indonesia, England, France, and the United States. So access, being able to tell your story is fundamental to the things moving forward, not only for Blacks, but for any people of color and any people who've been downtrodden. I'm talking about Appalachian whites, anybody who's what we call on that poverty line. How can there be so much poverty in the most affluent and richest society in the history of mankind? And that's what the fight is about, Tim. And of course, Dr. King alluded to that in the fact that the fight for equality wasn't just about the African-American community. It was about for everybody, that everybody deserves equal treatment under the law. The American dream. Jim, I want to take a moment and just talk about the fact that really between you and Kurt and Marty to put this together and let people hear the words of Dr. King, hear his voice, but also the words he wrote from the Birmingham jail, because while it was over 50 years ago, almost 60 years ago, it transcends time. Yeah, things have changed, but then they haven't changed. But we're in a new age now. This is the information society. And the information society affects the economics, society, and the culture of everyone in this world. The world is smaller because of the ways that things can be communicated. Our responsibility, especially mine as an athlete and former athlete who's been blessed with a certain level of privilege and mobility, is to help those who have no voice. We call it the heritage, but it also is a fundamental quote that we talk about all the time. It's, we receive we owe. And that is so basic to why many of these athletes have these strong foundations and are doing things to help other people, because that's what we're supposed to do, because we have been blessed. And Jim, take a minute or two and talk about athletes using their platforms, how important that is with the reach that they have. Well, I think it's very important, but it used to be unique that only athletes could speak for society. And uh, those that did were very good at it. But now, because of the advent of social media and the social networks, everybody has a voice. They don't have to show their face. You don't even have to know what country, what street they live on, but they can give their opinion. All of these opinions, even if you disagree, will keep moving the civil rights movement, trying to get freedom and equality for everyone to the point where it'll be common. You know, it won't be something that we have to fight for. But right now, Tim, The greatest time to be in this world is in the information age. And let's talk about basketball. Basketball is a social network. Let me define that. We have a show called Cavs HQ. And the most prominent piece is the Legends Chair. And the most prioritized conversation is telling stories. Telling stories that have universal truths that people can understand. And that's very basic. And so when these athletes are telling stories that people can identify with, it sets the tone for other things. I remember Mike Snyder saying that, I remember when Curry scored 18 points in the fourth quarter and they beat us in Cleveland and our fans were cheering for Curry. 
Yeah, I know. And Mike was so upset. He said, I don't get it, Jim. You know, they're cheering for this guy in the fourth quarter. And I told him, I said, Mike, there's a difference now. This thing is called a fluid fan. And what is a fluid fan? He's a gambler. He plays fantasy. But he also has an opinion. And his opinion he values. And therefore, he still loves his home team. But he has the right and the mobility to love other things within his network. And that's what we're talking about. Sports is what we call a social network. It is basic and fundamental. Of course, uh, they want their teams to win, but think about it. When you go to a game, everybody's got their phone. What are they doing? They're on their phone. They're taking selfies. They're taking pictures of the floor. This is the new age we live in, and it allows us to get our voices out. It allows us to have an opinion without fear, and those are the fundamental basics of the civil rights movement. Get the noise out. Tell your perspective and let people make a choice. And that's where we are right now. Boy, very, very well said. Jim Jones, and again, great big thank you to you and Kurt and Marty for putting this special segment together today. It was uh, it was certainly something that I think we all needed to hear once again. We'll take a time out. Cavs HQ presented by Betway on the Cavaliers Radio Network. The Cavs and Monsters have teamed up with Tito's Handmade Vodka to support assists for a cause. For every assist made by the Cavs and Monsters this season, Tito's will donate $10 to the Patriot Project to help restore health and quality of life to military and their families. With a combined total of 1,288 assists, $12,880 has been generated already. Cavs in the Community is brought to you by Discount Drug Market. Welcome back to Cavs HQ, presented by Betway on the Cavaliers Radio Network. Tim Elkhorn, along with Jim Jones, and another great guest this week in our Legends Chair as former NBA stalwart and now the color analyst on the TV side for the Chicago Bulls. Stacey King now joins us to talk about the Bulls. Of course, the Cavs and the Bulls tomorrow night right here on the Cavaliers Radio Network. And I'm sure a story or two will be shared between Jim Jones and Stacy King as well. Stacy, great to have you on the Cavs Radio Network. Looking forward to the conversation. Thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to it. Well, let's talk about this Bulls team. Uh, obviously, everything bunched up right now in the Eastern Conference, uh, leading the Eastern Conference by a half game. But boy, everybody else uh, right there between spots two and six. But Talk about this 21-22 Bulls team. Well, I mean, it's a completely different roster from what was here last year. You got to give a lot of credit to the Bulls front office. They came in, you know, when the Bulls hired Arturus Karnitris and Mark Eversley, they had a, a plan of getting back to being competitive. So they did a whole upheaval of everything, put everybody in place to, to get this thing turned around. Uh, it started last year when they uh, acquired uh, Nikola Vucevic from uh, Orlando. They traded away, you know, a couple really good young prospects. You know, Wendell Carter Jr., who's having a very nice season in Orlando. Uh, lottery pick for us uh, is in Orlando playing well. You know, you guys got Lowry Marketing, who's doing a good job for you guys. So we gave up a lot of good young talent to try to win now. And you got to give the front office a lot of credit. They put them in position this year. Going out getting DeMar DeRozan, Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, you know, and so on to turn this whole thing around. So it's been fun to watch. You know, when you think about DeRozan, at least when he was with Toronto, maybe to the Toronto fans, Stacey, 
he was a superstar player, but around the league, he was maybe a step above a role player, but he comes to Chicago and he's a star player. He's getting it done. He's making big shots at the end of games. Talk about DeRozan. Well, I think I think basketball people who know the game know he was a superstar player. He just happened to be playing in Canada, and they don't get the same kind of press that you get if he if Demar Derozan would have been playing in Chicago to start his career, they'd be building a statue right now. If he'd been playing in Cleveland, you know, Los Angeles, he would be getting the fanfare that he deserves. Being in Canada, you know, it's a little bit different over there. You know, they, the basketball is not the number one sport, as you know, it's hockey. So it's tough to really carve out your, you know, your niche over there. And people tend to forget about you if you're not getting deep into the playoffs. And they just started getting deep in the playoffs. And think about this. They won the championship and people hardly ever talk about it. And it was just a few years ago. So, you know, if it had been Cleveland or Chicago, people still be talking about them winning the championship. And I think DeMar has a chip on his shoulder. You know, all these people have counted him out. You know, when we signed him, the big thing was it was the worst free agent signing of the summer. You know, the Bulls overpaid for a player that's not worth the money that they gave them. It's going to set the Bulls back. They're not going to win with this guy. And I think it put a big, bolder, mountain-sized chip on his shoulder to prove everybody wrong. And I think that year in San Antonio playing for Popovich, you know, really helped him out. Even though that team wasn't winning, Pop put him in position as leadership to show these younger kids like DeJounte Murray and some of these younger kids you know, how to play, how to, how to be a pro. And I thought he did a great job last year in San Antonio, not just being a score, Jim, but being an all-around player, facilitator. He had a career high in assists last year in San Antonio, uh, showed uh, different facets of his game that he has playmaking ability, not just give me the ball and move out the way. And I think people judged him, you know, just based off of, he's not a guy that beats his chest. He's not a guy that is going to sit out here and go, hey, look, look at me, look at me, or he's not going to, you know, he's not going to do anything to embarrass himself. And um, people don't know DeMar, you know, people really don't know DeMar DeRozan until he plays on your team. And then you get a different perspective of him. True professional, great teammate, works extremely hard on his game. There was a time a week ago, he was, uh, he shoots 85%, I think on a career from free throws, uh, his free throw percentage in his career. He went 7-13 in a game of about two weeks ago, and uh, the Bulls won. The Bulls won. You know, they came back and won. I think it was against Detroit, and it was 7-13 to 13 for the free throw line. He came back out within an hour and a half after everybody left, and I think there might have been 10 people in the arena. I was one of them, and he shot like 1,500 free throws wow. um, after the game. That's something Kobe would do. That's something Michael Jordan would do, and – that just shows you the mentality that this kid has. And he's showing everybody right now that, you know, hey, you really misread me. You know, you put me in a box that I shouldn't be in. I am a star player. And it's obvious in the fan voting. Again, we're talking with Stacey King. He sits in the legends chair as our guest this week <laughs> on Cavs HQ presented by Betway. You like that legends chair moniker, Stacey? You like that? <laughs> I'm just a man sitting next to the man sitting next to the man. <laughs> <laughs> Stacy, of course, uh, in his ninth year on the television side with the Chicago Bulls. Of course, he spent four years as a player with the Bulls and won three world titles. And Stacy, I, I want to ask you about Billy Donovan because, of course, uh, he has had success at every level he's coached. I mentioned that you won three world championships uh, in Chicago with Phil. I'm not asking you to compare the two, but but what makes Billy unique? 
Well, Billy's a player's coach. Uh, he has a pulse of his players, pulse of his team. Uh, players have an open door policy. Uh, it's not one of these coaches that are, you know, tyrant, you know, do it this way, do it my way or the highway. Uh, he's very flexible. Players have a voice. And coaches like that, players love to play for. Players will run through a wall. Phil Jackson was like that. You know, he could be tough when he needed to be tough, but he had an open door policy. He always knew what was going on with his players. I mean, I played for, you know, a lot of coaches and you know, I played for some Hall of Fame coaches. And, you know, Phil Jackson to me was the best. And it wasn't even about he's the best X and O guy. I felt like he was the best manager of people. Uh, when you have, you know, two of the 75 greatest players of all time on your team and you've got all these egos uh, that come from places where they used to be the man, whether it been college or whatever, to be able to manage egos at the pro level is very tough to get the most out of everybody to know which buttons to push is an art. And Phil would do things with us. Like he would give us books based on our personalities. You know, we go on this long road trip out West, you know, 16, you know, two weeks, two and a half weeks. And he'd have a book for us all to read. And, and he would quiz you on it. And he'd give people books, you know, depending on what you were going through at that point of your life, he knew, you know, if you are having problems at home, he had, he'd give you some kind of marriage counseling book or something, you know, Make your spouse be better with your spouse. Uh, I remember I had my first son, and he was giving he gave me a Bill Cosby parenting book. You know how to how to be the best parent that I could be. You know at, at 25 years old, so uh, he had a pulse of his team. You know you'd be playing cards on the on the uh, on the plane. He'd walk up and see who's winning, who's winning. You know we always felt like he cared about us more than just basketball players, and I think that's what you get with Billy Donovan. From the time I've been around him. You know, just a coach that you love to play for. Very uplifting, uh, a people person, not a yeller, not a screamer. And, you know, in this generation, the players are totally different than when, when Jim played. Uh, Jim's players were a lot harder than, than my era, but we were hard, too, as far as how coaches, you know, coaches uh, directed their, you know, directed their anger towards you. Um, and, you know, we had to just tough it up and go do what they said. You know, these guys nowadays – you have to watch what you say to them because they can go into a tailspin, lose their confidence. And you've got to know when to, when to push and when to back up and back off that guy. And Phil Jackson had that, that uh, capability and Billy Donovan does too. Really great point. We're going to sneak in a quick timeout again, Stacy King, our guest, he sits in the legends chair on Cavs HQ presented by Betway. We'll have more with Stacy King following this timeout on the Cavaliers radio network. Welcome back, Caps HQ, presented by Betway on the Cavaliers Radio Network. Tim Elkhorn along with Jim Jones and, of course, the dynamic duo on the other side of the window, Kurt McLaughlin and Marty Allen. And we're thrilled to have this week joining us in the Legends Chair, Stacey King, TV color analyst on the Chicago Bulls television side. And, of course, as he was referencing in our last segment, a terrific player for the Bulls during their world championship years. And Jim Jones, uh, you once again dug into that black book of yours. Great guest. So uh, I'll let you start <laughs> things off here in the second segment. Well, Stacy, I'm still tired from the other night when we talked. Uh, yeah, I know. I got you in trouble. Went... I got in trouble with my girlfriend because like, we were on the phone almost two hours. Right. She, thought I was having, she thought I was talking to another woman or something. I was like, hey, <laughs> no, man. Now I was talking to my man, JC. Yeah, well, look, at I, I just want to commend you. You know, uh, I have NBA pass, and I've over the years, I've had a chance to listen 
to all the great color and play-by-play people, but you're at the top of your game. You are the best in our league. And I would encourage anyone that has NBA pass to tune in because your analysis, your detailed analysis, and you always tell us something we don't know. And I really appreciate you. You're at the top of your game. Your diction, the way you present yourself is first class. It's network quality, brother. I just wanted to tell you that. I appreciate that, Jim. It's an honor. You know, it's an honor you even say that because I consider you, what you do, great too. And, uh, you know, we have we'll always have these lengthy discussions. Um, you know, what I try to do is just, you know, you know, because we have our own market. You know, you have, you, you know, we're, I'm Chicago market. And my goal is always to, to make sure that the Chicago Bulls nation uh, is well-informed. They're having a good time because, as you know, in this business, tickets are expensive. You know, when you're losing, you can you can get tickets at uh, uh, like a supermarket for free, you know, but when you start to win, it's those tickets become very expensive and it's hard for a family of, you know, four or five people to go, you know, catch a Bulls game or a Cavaliers game. And so what you try to do when you're on the radio or whether you're on TV, you try to make that experience enjoyable for those people who can't come to the game and catch it live. Well, I just want to add to that. Give us a Dennis Rodman story. I prepped you before <laughs> I prepped you before uh, because I want to keep yeah. it clean. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, there's not really a lot of not a lot of clean stories, but uh, <laughs> I mean, you know what, Dennis? I remember seeing Dennis in in because uh, he played in Oklahoma, and I'm from Oklahoma originally. And when I was in high school, uh, as a senior in high school, I would hear these stories. It was kind of like these Paul Bunyan stories. And we had now you got to remember we had the late great Wayman Tisdale at the University of Oklahoma at that time too. Yep. And he was putting up astronomical numbers. I mean, he would put up numbers, 50, 60 points. And I saw both these guys play. And before I saw, you know, Dennis Robin play, cause he's playing at NAI school, which, you know, um, I had an uh, NAI school in my hometown, which is called Cameron university. And they played Dennis Rodman uh, one year when I was a senior. And I, I kept seeing these astronomical numbers, you know, 30 rebounds, 36 rebounds, you know? So I, I'm thinking this dude is like six eleven, seven feet tall, like this big, big, strong kid. And so me and my buddies, high school teammates drive up to watch him play at Southeastern Oklahoma state to watch him play. And so we're at, we're in the stands and, and now we're, we're like, there's not a lot of black people in the stands. I'm just be honest. I mean, it was, we were like raisins in a bowl of cream of wheat. So we're kind of, we're kind of sitting here watching, you know, watching this, this warm up. the teams were warming up and we're saying, okay, I'm looking for a seven footer. I'm looking for this big, strong dude. And there's no one like that out there like that. So I was like, man, I asked this guy with a cowboy hat who happened to be, you know, spitting dip next to me. You know, that's what they do out there, you know, in Oklahoma, them cowboys <laughs> down there, boy, you know, so he's out there, he got a little dip in his mouth. He spit it, you know? So I'm like, uh, Hey man, like I said, excuse me, sir. Can, can you tell me which one is Dennis Rodman? I, I'm looking for Dennis Rodman. I don't see him out there now. Now, granted, I've never seen Dennis Rodman. I've never seen him in the paper. I've never seen a picture of him, so I don't know what he looks like. And there was only there was only two two African American guys on the team anyway, and he there was only one out there, so I assumed that was Dennis Rodman. But he looked like a guard, and I'm like, there's no way the guy the guy six four is getting all these rebounds. No way. So he goes, Nah, he's not out there. You 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 come to see Worm? And I said, You said, Yeah, we want to see Worm. What is that? Is that his name? He's like Worm. You're going to see why they call him the worm. And I'm like, I'm like, all right, whatever, whatever. Where is he at? Where's this seven footer at? Oh, wait a minute. He's going to come out any second now, right before the tip. And I'm like, okay, the whistle blows the official. Now he ain't warmed up at all. Now they get it. Everybody else in the layup line stretching. He hasn't done anything yet. All of a sudden he comes running out the locker room 
he does a complete two circles around the court, like full <laughs> speed, like he's in a track meet, round, round. And I'm like, who is this crazy? <laughs> and so he doesn't even get he doesn't even get into the circle with his team. He automatically runs out there, and his coach, you know, they broke the huddle. They go out to the jump ball circle. He stops the running about the second time, goes into the into the jump ball circle. So the guy next to me, the cowboy hat spitting dip, says to me, he says, "Hey, he goes, watch, watch this. He does this every game." And I'm thinking, what runs around the court like an idiot? I mean, like, <laughs> is that what he does every game? So he's like, he goes, "No, he goes, no, watch this. This is the most exciting play you'll ever see." So I'm sitting here now. Now I'm like, okay, I got it. I've seen this crazy dude run around the court. He's high stepping around the court like he doesn't. You know, how he did in the NBA where he runs with his high knees. So the jump ball circles up. He's going up against a guy probably he's like six seven. Dennis is about six seven at that time. So he's going up against a guy who's probably about six nine six ten. And so they throw the jump ball up. And so he taps the ball back to the guard, his his teammate, and. The guard, before the ball even hit his teammate, he was already running towards the rim. So he taps it back. You got to envision this. He taps it off and he sprints towards the rim. And as the ball hits the guard's hand, he's now like where the three-point line would be. That's how fast he got out of the jump ball. And the dude threw a lob and he caught the ball all in like almost like one motion. And it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I was just, and, and the guy goes, See, that's why we call him the worm. He just slithered right on out of there. Look, oh, my goodness. He does that. He does that every game. And I'm like, he does that every game? He goes, yes, he does that every game, and teams cannot stop it. And I was just like – and that was my first introduction at the college level. You know, at the pro level, you know, I've been in, I've been in clubs with him where he brings his own – like, you know, the club can have, like, you know, a 1,000 people in it, right? This guy comes in with his own club, his own entourage. Like, he comes <laughs> in, like, 30, 40 deep. And they're all from different walks of life. Like, it's just like when you when you look at Dennis and it's like Dennis has his – like, there'd be people I wouldn't hang out with. They would, they're not my in my inner circle. I wouldn't hang out with – Dennis is friends, whatever. He saw – if he saw a, a guy out there juggling, you know, juggling balls with a monkey handed with a cup in his hand, he'd invite him into the party. Come on, man, let's go hang out. That's how Dennis is. Dennis, Dennis would grab. Dennis would grab any. He's a magnet. He's a magnet to anybody, and that's why he's so loved by people that you know. Maybe normal people go, "Well, that something's wrong with that person, or something's that person is not right, or he doesn't dress right," and they judge a person. Dennis has always been the person that people gravitate to because he doesn't have these pre-existing notions of who you are as a person or what you look like. He doesn't care. He doesn't care, you know, what you look like. He don't care what your religion is, what your sexual preference is. He doesn't care. It's just, hey, if you're cool, you want to hang out with me, come on, let's go. And so he'd bring in entourage. Like, I mean, he, he could add his own club if he wanted to. And he'd bracket, they bracket it off into, a, you know, a little segment. And he'd have his own little party in the back. In the, uh, in the back. It's funny. Well, Stacy, that may be one of the best stories I've ever heard. On Cavs HQ. And I got to tell you what, with Jim Jones as a co-host, I've heard some amazing stories. But oh, yeah. About top. Yeah. Jim, 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 Jim knows, man, being an NBA player and the things that we see, there's some stories you can't talk about. And there's other stories that people go, oh, my God, I would never have known that, you know, that you can that you can, you know, share uh, with other people, which is which is a lot of fun, because I think sometimes you get. People get conceptions of professional athletes that, you know, people like, oh, you party all the time and you do this and you do that. And that. No, there's, there's, there's a lot of human stories behind, 
you know, what athletes do too. you know, some of the charity work that they do behind the scenes that um, and these kids are doing it nowadays that, you know, they don't have a camera around them all the time. When people think athletes are selfish, you know, they don't know what they do behind the scenes, who they're helping, how many families they've helped, uh, you know, through through tragic times. And those things don't get reported because those athletes don't want you to hear that. So it's good sometimes to, to be able to talk about stories that are also good, too. Oh, that's an awesome way to wrap this up. Stacy King, uh, I'll just echo what Jim said to start the segment. Uh, I also have NBA Pass. Love watching you and listening to you. You're entertaining as all get out, man. It is so much fun to listen to you do a broadcast. And so uh, we appreciate you being on. Looking forward to a great Cavs-Bulls matchup tomorrow night. That should be a lot of fun. And we'll talk again down the road. Yeah, we're kind of getting that rivalry back now. Cleveland That's and Chicago, right. both teams are getting good again. So it's going to be some good battle. We got some good young talent. Both teams got some good young talent. So this could be something really, really good in the future. Well, no doubt. Thank you, Stacey. Stacey, we appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Stacy King, he's the color analyst on the TV side for the Chicago Bulls. And again, Cavs and Bulls tomorrow night. Jim and I will have it on the radio side on the Cavs Radio Network. We'll take a quick time out. More to come on Cavs HQ presented by Betway. We'll be right back. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Cavs HQ presented by Betway. Great big thank you, of course, to Stacey King for joining us. What a great guest. Jim Jones, a huge thank you to you. And, of course, a great big thank you to Kurt McLaughlin and Marty Allen. We'll be back with you again tomorrow night. Big game, Cavs in Chicago to take on the Bulls. 8 o'clock tip, 7.30 with the Huntington Tip-Off Show. Until then, thank you much for listening, and so long, everybody.